It is good to be here. God is good, isn't he? Amen. You know, there was, uh, if you don't know, Jessie's my daughter. And uh, there was a time that Jessie was given piano lessons. And uh, she started when she was seven and uh, really progressed. And I've been to how many recitals, you know, for piano. She's participated in some state competition and things like that. But she was uh, teaching uh, piano. And uh, I always told her that uh, when you have a new student, I don't know if she ever did it or not, but I always told her if you have a new student, you should, before every practice, play something for them. And so, because right now they're just tink, 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 and one little note at a time, but it's good to give them a vision of what it will sound like when they become proficient. So they get a picture in their mind and, and by their eyes, they see somebody that can play and it gives the student something to aim for. And I don't know if she ever did it or not, but I like to see what somebody does. I like to see how they do it, show me. So I was in the hallway the other day, a couple weeks ago, and somebody asked me, uh, Pastor Bob, what kind of a church are we? And I thought it was a great question. What kind of a church are we? And I thought it was good timing because Pastor has been leading us, Pastor Ryan has been leading us through the book of Acts. And the book of Acts is a picture of what the New Testament church is supposed to be. It's a New Testament church community. And as we look at that New Testament church, we start to say, okay, these are the characteristics of a New Testament church. How are we doing? How does Anchor fit into all of that? And probably in your Bible, if you opened up to your Bible to the book of Acts, it probably says the Acts of the Disciples. The Acts of the Disciples. Now, I think a better title would be the Acts of the Holy Spirit working through the disciples. Because it's really about what the Holy Spirit was doing in the New Testament church. And it was, uh, it's great that we're going through that book on a Sunday morning. Uh, today our passage is Acts chapter 4, starting in verse 31. So you can turn on your Bible or you can open your Bible uh, to Acts chapter 4 as we pray. Father, you're a good father. Your mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Lord, as we look through the book of Acts, oh, we just see awesome things that you have done. Lives that you have changed. Lives that you have gotten a hold of and used mightily. Oh, it says that they turned the world upside down. People took note that they had been with Jesus. 
So, Father, that's as we strive, we acknowledge we haven't arrived yet. We're striving. Each and every day, we're striving to be a New Testament community. We're striving to be filled with the Spirit. And as we look at this passage today, would you open our spiritual ears and our spiritual eyes that we might behold wonderful things from your word. And we'll give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, before we get to Acts chapter 4, if you have, you don't don't have to, I'm going to read it, but I want to tie in Ephesians chapter 5 with Acts chapter 4. So Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 18 through verse 32, do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church. He himself being the savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church. Because we are members of his body. For this reason... A man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. So he says up there in verse 18, be filled with the Spirit. And when we're filled with the Spirit, there's fruit of that. It becomes evident of that. And that's what we see throughout the book of Acts. It's the acts of the Holy Spirit. And one of the things that characterized the early church was that filling of the Spirit. And so I wonder today, would you say right now you're filled with the Spirit? Would you say right now the, the Spirit Uh, It's not a quantity issue. It's not that you get more of the Holy Spirit. 
It's that the Holy Spirit gets more of you. So how much of the Holy Spirit does he have of you? So I want to take a little jet tour through the book. It's going to be a jet tour, I promise you, of the work of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament, in the book of Acts. So first of all, we find in Acts chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, he says to them, gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for, the, for what the Father had promised. He told them to wait. He didn't tell them the first command out of his mouth. He didn't say, go witness to the world. He didn't tell them to, to go make, a, make a, a dinner together with uh, the rest of the congregation. He told them to wait. I think we have a hard time with waiting, uh, to be able to wait. Uh, so he told them, Wait, verse 8, chapter 1, verse 8, he says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses. So when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, then you will receive the power. So you get out of that verse, no Holy Spirit, no power. No Holy Spirit, no power. Now, as you, I think the Bible is an exciting book, don't you? As we look through the Bible, we see all kinds of things that went on in the early church. Wouldn't you like to be around where people are, are maybe getting uh, healed or maybe uh, thousands are coming to Christ or uh, they're praying and the building is shaken? Wouldn't that be kind of awesome? Somebody told me once, they said, it's important that you read great books. It's important that you meet great people and it's important that you go to great events there's something about reading great books going to great events meeting great people that stretches us that shows us what god could do in our lives and so they were filled with the holy spirit and great power came upon them acts chapter 2 verse 4 they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Acts chapter 4, verse 8. Peter, filled with the Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, we are on trial here today. So the Spirit filled them and gave them the right words to say. Aren't there times you meet with somebody and you don't really know what to say? I had somebody at the hospital the other day and uh, dying of cancer, young lady, 50-something years old, and uh, was able to share the gospel with her. And she prayed to receive Christ as her Savior. Amen. Amen. But I think back on that, and, and oftentimes my wife says, well, what did you say? And uh, you know what? I can, I can never seem to remember what I said. To me, that's the Holy Spirit working. That the Holy Spirit takes over and gives us the word to, words to say. And he says that. Don't worry about what you're going to say. The Spirit will give call to your remembrance when you need them. And so he's filled with the Spirit and he's speaking the word of God. Then we come to our passage today. 
Notice in verse 31, Acts chapter 4, verse 31, I notice five things in this passage here. When they had prayed, again, back to the early church, they prayed, wait here in the upper room, and they prayed, and then the Holy Spirit came. When they had prayed, the place where they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. And the congregation of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Before we go on. Did you know that Honda cars are in the Bible? Yeah, yeah they were in one accord. Right? They were all in one accord. Yeah. Did you know that uh, tennis is in the Bible? Yep. Joseph served in Pharaoh's court. Did you know baseball is in the Bible? In the big inning. In the big inning, right? All right, that's enough of my bad jokes today. But they were in one accord. See, there's something that happens. That's unnatural to be in one accord. And we're going to look at that in a, in a little bit later. But it's unnatural for people to be in one accord. It's unnatural for people to actually get along. We're people, and we oftentimes have a hard time getting along with others. And so, but notice they were filled with the Spirit. Acts chapter 6, verse 3. Brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Spirit. It was a qualification for a deacon to be filled with the Spirit. And that passage in Ephesians is not uh, a suggestion. It is a command for all of us to be filled with the Spirit. You are commanded. So if we are not being filled with the Spirit, we're in disobedience. Oh, that's powerful. We're in disobedience. Acts chapter 7, verse 55. Being full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed intently into heaven and saw the glory of God. This is Stephen. And uh, he's looking into the face of God, but he's full of the Holy Spirit, ready to meet his maker. Acts chapter 8, verse 29. And the Spirit said to Philip, don't you wonder sometimes... Uh, Lord, should I say something to this person? Lord, should I witness to that person? Lord, what should I do in this situation? Here, the Holy Spirit led them. He told Philip, go up to join the chariot. And Philip ran up and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet. But it was all because of the filling of the Holy Spirit. In verse 39 when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. Wow, I wonder what that was like. There he was with this uh, uh, person in the chariot, this eunuch, and the next thing you know, he's gone. You think the Lord can do that today? Yeah. Well, there's a lot, a lot of not too certain people out here. They're not too sure, right? You know, I got to say, I'm a little jealous sometimes of the charismatics because they took a good word and kind of the way, you know, they, for many people, they don't want to use that word because they don't want to get wrapped up in the, 
maybe the bad usage, but charismatic is in the Bible. I want us to be charismatic. I want us to be full of life. Don't you? I got to get you guys in board here with us. I got to get you guys together with me. It's okay to clap in church. It's okay to raise your hand in church. It's okay to get a little excited about the Lord. You guys watching um, uh, the World Cup? Anybody watching the World Cup? I got this. I better preach to this side over here. This is the side engaged over there. Yeah. I don't watch much sports anymore, but I have been watching the World Cup. Soccer is not so great, and it's growing in America. But uh, all right, Acts 28, 29, and Philip opened his mouth. Beginning from this scripture, he preached Jesus to them. The Spirit said to Philip, go up to this chariot and preach Jesus. Acts chapter 9, verse 31. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria enjoyed peace, being built up and going on in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. So there's comfort from the Holy Spirit. Acts 10, 19. Peter was reflecting on the vision and the Spirit said to him, man, the Spirit, and they're understanding what the Spirit is saying to them. I want to be, I want to hear the Spirit speaking to my spirit. His Spirit bears witness with our spirit, and He should be leading us. We should be a church filled with the Spirit. Acts 10, verse 44. Peter still speaking these words. The Holy Spirit fell upon all who were listening to the message. The Holy Spirit was present. They were dependent upon the Holy Spirit. Acts eleven twenty four. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. Considerable numbers were brought to the Lord. Did you know that somebody uh, came to a pastor came to Charles Spurgeon and asked Charles Spurgeon, "How come when you preach, uh, people get saved?" And he said, uh, well, do you, do you expect people to get saved when you preach? Every time, do you expect people to get saved? He said, well, no, not every time. And he said, well, that's the problem. Do we expect the Holy Spirit to work? Do we expect the Holy Spirit to guide us? Do we expect the Holy Spirit to work among us? Do we expect the Holy Spirit to, to save people? People were being added to their number daily. And it wasn't just the pastors going out. It was the whole body. They were all in one accord. They were all being filled with the Spirit. They saw the need and the dependence upon the Holy Spirit. I think much of what can happen in churches today can be done without the Holy Spirit at all. And that's a sad day. But we need the Holy Spirit. Acts 11.24, Acts 11.13, or 13.2. He says, while they were ministering to the Lord and fasting. That's an interesting verse. And they were, they were ministering to the Lord and fasting. The Holy Spirit said to them, set apart for me. He's, he's in charge of the missions department. He's the missions director. Set out for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. 
Acts 13, 52, the disciples were continually filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Acts 16, verse 6 and 7, they passed through Phrygia and Galatian region having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit. Wouldn't you like the Holy Spirit to forbid you from doing something? I'd like them to say, nope. I don't witness to everybody that I come in contact with. I try to say, Lord, who do you want me to speak to? And here, the Holy Spirit prevented them, forbid them to speak. Acts 19, verse 6. When Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Spirit came on them. They began speaking again. Acts 20, verse 22. And now bound by the Spirit... I am on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. Acts 20, verse 28. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among you which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. The Holy Spirit appoints elders in the churches. So if we were to get anything out of this sermon today, what I would hope to get for you is that you to see is that we need the Holy Spirit. That we cannot do the work here at Anchor Church. We can work on our worship, our four W's, right? We worship Christ. We walk with Christ. We uh, witness for Christ. We work for Christ. We could do all those, but there's no power. There's no presence. There's nothing of eternal value that will happen unless we are filled with the Spirit. We must be filled with the Spirit. So let's go back to Acts chapter 4. Give you five things here and then we can be done. Notice it says, when they had prayed... That early church was faithful in supplication. They were faithful in supplication. I think prayer reveals our lack of power. Halsby wrote a, a book, and it's, it was called a Prayer. And the first thing he says in the book is prayer is helplessness. When you realize there's Nothing you can do, you can't do anything of eternal value without prayer. Now we become dependent upon the Holy Spirit and we say, Lord, I can't do this on my own. I need your help. They were powerful. They were in prayer. They were committed. They were faithful in supplication. And I believe that prayer unleashes the power of God. You know, one of the hardest uh, or least attended meetings in any church is the prayer meeting. And sad to say, it's the prayer meeting is the least attended. So we took a bus once to New York because we had heard about Jim Cimbala's uh, church, Brooklyn Tabernacle. And so we took a busload and uh, we drove straight through to Brooklyn Tabernacle on a Tuesday night and we went into the prayer meeting. Wow, it was powerful. You come out of there like you're floating. It, they are, they're 
popcorn prayers, there are deeper prayers, there's people just gathering at the altar in prayer, they're worshiping God. It was the, one of the most incredible things that I've ever been to. And there are people, we would say to their people after the church, wow, you've got a great church. And you know what they would say? We have a great God. Wow. See, they trusted the Holy Spirit. They believed in the power of prayer. And they're right in the middle of Brooklyn. And right in the middle of Brooklyn, there's drug addicts and there's uh, alcoholics all around there. But people are coming to that church because it's an evidence of the Holy Spirit at work in their church. And it's because they started out being faithful in prayer. But they were also, look at verse 31, they were also rooted in the scriptures. The place where they had gathered together was shaken. They were filled with the Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. They were rooted in the scriptures. The power is in the prayer, and the power is in the Word of God. It's quick and powerful, right? Sharper than any two-edged sword. The Word of God does not return void. And so, it's not my opinions, it's not my testimony even. What God uses the most is the Scriptures. And then notice what it says in verse 43. They were effective in soul winning. They were effective and with great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. There was great power. When the Holy Spirit is in charge, there's great power. Lives are changed. The dead are made alive. The lame our lames were healed, the deaf heard, those who couldn't speak spoke. And I wonder, Lord, could that still happen to us today? Can we see your power? He did say, you will do greater things than these. I would like to see that, those greater things. So they're faithful in prayer. They're rooted in the scriptures. They're effective in soul winning, and they're committed, verse 32, they're committed to soul care. All things were in common property to them. No one claimed anything that belonged as his own with one heart and one soul. That's a church in unison, that we could be of one Accord. We could be together. We could be united. Now, the Bible does say there are seven things the Lord hates. And one of those is someone who causes division in a church. God doesn't like division. God wants us to be united. He wants us to work together. He wants us to be of one heart and one soul. That's not real easy nowadays, to be of one heart and one soul. We tend by nature to um, get on each other, to get critical of each other. 
more problems happen in marriage because, you know, it starts out, uh, you could sit on the phone and hear each other breathing for hours before you get married, right? And, and then after a while, what happens? All of a sudden, people can't get along anymore, right? What happened? And many times I'll ask the people, well, why did you like this person in the first place? I'm trying to get them to think back on what attracted them to that person because we forget all those things. We forget the good times we've had together. We're in close, close proximity with each other and we start focusing on the negative things. And that's what happens at the church. Did you know Anchor is not a perfect church? <gasps> I know that's a surprise to you. And I'll tell you something, if you start looking for things to be wrong, you'll probably find stuff. Because we're people, we're sinners. And you'll find stuff that's wrong. And you know what happens once you start looking? You'll start finding other things. And it'll start adding up. It's the same thing in your marriage. You guys got married for something, some reason. You loved each other. You were attracted to each other. You laughed at whatever it was that attracted you to each other. And then all of a sudden, you start focusing on the negative things in the marriage, in the person. You start really finding what the real person is like. Right? I didn't know he was such a slob. Right? And so whatever it is, I, you know, maybe I grabbed that one because maybe that's my problem. Uh, and so we all have our problems. And if you focus on the problems, you know the Bible says it's to a man's glory to overlook an offense. You know, sometimes people are just having a bad day. Right? It's okay to overlook that offense. Give them a little grace. You know, the Bible here, the passage says that they were in one accord with great power. They spoke the message of Jesus and great grace was upon them. I don't know about you, God resists the proud. He gives grace to the humble. We need God's grace. And when we're nitpicking, James chapter 4, where do fights and quarrels come from among you? Don't they come from within you? Yeah. They come from within and we, we start getting selfish and we start getting nitpicky and we start looking for things. And I promise you, you'll always find somebody who will agree with you. And people tend to find each other. Yeah, I was thinking that exact same thing. And did you notice this? Yeah. I don't think the closest people in your marriage, the closest people in your marriage should be people that are as committed to your marriage as you are. Don't be listening to everyone that's, uh, you know, the people go out together and they, they might have a cocktail or something and the next thing you know it's husband bashing time. Don't hang around with those people. I know what my wife's flaws are. Not too many, but I know what they are. She knows what all of mine are. And so we have them. I don't need anybody else to reinforce that. Right? So they were in one accord. There was great power. There was great grace. God's 
favor. God's favor comes on us when we're filled with the Spirit. God's favor comes on us when we're praying. God's favor comes on us when we're united. God's favor comes on us when we're obedient to him. And so the devil wants you to disobey. Now, we all got our issues, don't we? We all have our issues. So I brought my friend. I have my friend here. And uh, D.L. Moody told this story. He said, a man named John told his son to go get him uh, a hammer. So the son ran off and got him a hammer. And he said, now I want you to get a, uh, a nail and um, get a, a pine board. Well, I picked this black silhouette instead. And he said, okay, I got it. And he said, okay, now I want you to drive the nail into the board. And the son pounded the nail into the board. And uh, he said, uh, okay, now pull the nail out of the board. And the son pulled the nail out of the board. And then the dad said, now pull the hole out. He couldn't pull the hole out. The hole is stuck in there. And so when we're filled with the Spirit, the scars of our life, the mistakes that we made, the things that we did wrong, mark our lives. And we can never get rid of those scars that are there. We can't pull out the hole. We can't pull out the scars. But I believe that God uses the scars in our lives when we're filled with the Spirit, that when we're filled with the Spirit, can you see that? Can you see any lights shining through there? God takes the scars of our lives and he shines through them. They become a testimony. They become a life message. They become something that glorifies God. I used to do a lot of drugs, a lot of drinking. I was a real punk. And uh, when I got saved, I, uh, I ran into people that I went to high school with. And the people that I went to high school with, wait till we go to your church and tell them what kind of a person you were. And uh, they were thinking that that was going to upset me. And I said, you know, they already know. Because that's a testimony to God's grace. That's a testimony how God takes wounded, broken, holes, scars, marks, uh, hurts, habits, hang-ups that come into our lives and he shines through them and he brings glory to his name because he brings healing and wholeness. We are all broken. And uh, even in your brokenness, God will use that brokenness to bring glory to his name. There's no way that you could have 
pulled out all those scars. We try to cover them. We try to, to mark, uh, mask them up. And uh, when the Holy Spirit is not shining through, maybe they can't see all the marks, but they're still there. It's only when we surrender ourselves to the Lord and we ask him to cleanse us. If we confess our sins, the sins that we do know, he is faithful and just to forgive us of the sins that we do know and to cleanse us even from the sins that we don't know. So we cannot do this on our own. And while there's some things I regret that I've done in the past, God will take them and work them all out for his good. And so it won't happen, though, unless we're filled with the Spirit. Now, what does that mean, to be filled with the Spirit? In the passage with the book of Ephesians, it's talking about... Uh, it's not a quantity. It's a control. So the comp there's a comparison and some contrast in that passage. The simple comparison is that alcohol controls you. That's where the problem comes in when the alcohol is controlling you. The problem comes when anything else in your life is controlling you beside the Holy Spirit. That's where the problem comes. So he says, don't be controlled by the Spirit. I was hearing a guy speaking on this the other day. And he said, uh, you know, when people are out I think he was using a rugby game or something. And he says, when the, when the fans get out to watch this rugby game and they all start drinking, he said, through the course of their drinking, the songs that they're singing and the uh, vulgarity of what they're saying gets worse and worse the more they're drinking. And so that alcohol begins to control them. And he says, don't be drunk with wine. Don't be controlled with wine. What's controlling you? What's controlling your life? Are you controlled by the Holy Spirit? Every time we go through things in our life, I had a guy that I used to be an usher when I first got saved. I love ushers. And uh, uh, he used to always ask me, you know, how can you pray without ceasing? And I said, well, praying without ceasing just means you're in communication with God all the time. If you're talking to somebody on the phone, you're saying, Holy Spirit, guide me in this conversation. Give me the right words to say. Holy Spirit, um, you know, guard my attitude as I go into this meeting. Holy Spirit, uh, I'm thinking about you. All through the day, no matter what we're going through, it's not like you're getting down on your knees and you're praying all throughout the day. Your prayer is simply talking to God. And so as we're talking to God, we're communicating with him throughout the day. And we're acknowledging him throughout the day. Lord, help my attitude here. Lord, watch what I say here. Lord, give me the right words to say. If you're in a sales meeting, Lord, give me the right words to say. Lord, help me bring glory to your name. And many times when he's doing that in your life, you won't even remember what you're saying. At least that's what I found. 
that when the Lord's in it, it's him working through us. It's not the disciples, the acts of the disciples, it's the acts of the Holy Spirit. And great power and great grace was upon them. They were committed to soul care. They had one heart and one soul. They were sharing their possessions. They were, I, I just can't imagine they weren't sharing their love and their concern. Doesn't the Bible say they'll know we're his disciples by how much we give? Are you guys paying attention? No, it doesn't say that anywhere. <laughs> He'll know, we'll, they'll know we're his disciples by what? By our loved one for another. Right? That should stand out. That's not common. As a matter of fact, uh, made me think of Romans chapter 1. Here's what we were. It says that also in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. That's what you were, but you were washed. You, you were changed. You were saved. That's what we were. Here's what we were. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, through without excuse. Even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks. They became futile in their speculations. Their foolish hearts was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. Exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. We do stupid things. We do foolish things. God gave them over in the lusts of their heart to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. This is the heart of man. And worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. God gave them over. Now you can get a list of these things. God gave them over to degrading passions. Men abandoned natural function of the women and burned in their desire toward one another. God gave them over to a depraved mind. Being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, envy, evil, murder, strife, deceit, malice, their gossip, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. And although they know the ordinance of God that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but they also give hearty approval to those who practice them. Man, that's who we really are. That's who we are deep down within us. But isn't it great that God takes us what we were, and if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature? Old things are gone. Old things are passed away. You're not who you were. No doubt you're not who you're going to be yet. You're still being sanctified. But praise God you're not who you were. 
Praise God that he's making you new. Praise God he wants to use us. God, God could have chosen some other way to work with him. He could have just called angels to go out and preach the gospel. But he gives us an invitation to join him. Isn't that incredible? We're the church of God. We're the people of God. We are joint heirs of Jesus. And we can't do this on our own. But he gives us everything that we need that pertains to life and godliness. I would challenge you, you know, when I first got saved, I had a roofing company, and one of the guys that worked for me, his mother, this was like the Aquila and Priscilla. She would, uh, I would go over to pick her son up to work for me, and uh, we'd sit and have coffee because he was never ready. He was 18 and he was never ready. No excuse, you 18-year-olds. Get up and get ready for work. And, uh, and she would tell me, I remember it to this day. She said, Bob, you might have to ask the Holy Spirit to fill you 100 times a day. Wow. Can we be committed to that? As soon as you feel yourself taking control of your life back, we have to ask the Holy Spirit to control us. Here, you fill me, you control me. I don't know about you, but when I was a kid, we used to come home from school and watch cartoons. Ever watch cartoons? And um, I loved the Flintstones. But you know one thing about the Flintstones? I don't know if you guys have a picture of the Flintstones over there. Do you got a picture of the Flintstones? Yeah. That's the stupidest thing in the world. <laughs> they have a car that they work by their own feet. That's their power. Their power is their own ability, their own feet. And that's how many Christians are trying to live their life. They're trying to li live their life with their own power, with their own ability. They've learned how to do church. They've learned the right words to say. They learned what you're supposed to do. And yet we do it in our own power. They need the power of an engine. We need the power of an engine. That engine is not our engine. It's the Holy Spirit. And all throughout the book of Acts, the Acts of the Holy Spirit, it was the Holy Spirit that was empowering them. It was the Holy Spirit that was pouring grace out on them. It was the Holy Spirit that was keeping them united in one accord. It was the Holy Spirit who was teaching them and helping them proclaim with boldness the Word of God. And they were proclaiming the resurrection of Jesus. They were focused on the Savior. They were filled with the Spirit. They were in unity. That's what we need. Now, I don't know if you ever saw the pictures from, uh, I think it's either Navigators or Bill Bright, and I got a closer. But there's three kinds of, what would you say? You got the first picture up there? Can we show the first picture? There's the self-directed life. Notice here that self is sitting on the throne. 
And notice Christ, the cross on the bottom left, is outside of the life. That is what your life is like not being a Christian. You are on the throne of your life and Christ is on the outside of your life. Self is on the throne. Christ is outside. The interests are directed by self, often resulting in discord and frustration. When your self gets on the throne in your marriage, that's where the discord will come. When your self gets on the throne in the church, that's where discord will come. When your self gets on the throne at your job, that's where discourse Discord will come. But then there's another kind of a life. And the next kind of life is... Um, do we have the next one? A self-directed life. Notice self is still on the throne. But notice Christ is now in the life, but he's not on the throne. That's what happens if we don't keep trusting the Spirit and we're not filled with the Spirit. Yes, we've invited Christ into our life, but he's not on the throne of our life. We are still on the throne of our life. That's the times where it might be a hundred times a day. You say, okay, I got to take myself off the throne. I'm going to submit and let you control my life again. But the life that he wants us to live is the Christ-directed life. Notice on the chair, on the throne there, Christ is on the throne and yourself is subservient to Christ. Your life then, in these contrasts that we see between filling of the Spirit and filling, being drunk with wine, we see that there's love and there's joy and there's peace and there's patience and kindness and goodness, faithfulness. All that fruit of the Spirit. Now my question to you today is, uh, how do you want your life to be? You can't have a Spirit-filled life. You just got to get off the throne. You got to ask, just, just think what a church would be like if everyone in the body was filled with the Spirit, praying together unified, filled with power, filled with grace, in one accord, nothing of their own, caring for one another in soul care. When we're struggling, somebody's coming alongside and helping. People getting saved. The baptismal tank should be used every week. Do we even think that God could do that? Do we believe that we could be that kind of a church? I want to be where, where God is working, and he's working here. He's doing some great things here. We've had a lot of visitors attending uh, Anchor. Every week we have somebody new. But we want to see them become disciples. We want to see them saved. We want to see those baptismal tanks. We want to see them working, walking, witnessing, worshiping. We want to see us as a church. Uh, you know, when a church is healthy, it grows. When I'm healthy, I'm growing. It's when I get sick that I don't grow. Sometimes I'm too healthy. I get furniture disease. My chest falls into my drawers. I gotta stop that. Bad jokes, huh? 
That's what we want to be. We want to be a Christ-directed life. I was amazed when I saw all this right in that little passage. I'm thinking, okay, what am I going to speak on Acts chapter 4.31? But Pastor Ryan set the table for us yesterday, or last week, when he said they were filled with the Spirit. And it just stirred my mind. Look at all the things that happened when they're filled with the Spirit. Just think what your life will be. What it can become. What it can be day by day. God determined the exact times in the exact places of our habitation. He, the days of our lives are numbered by the Lord. He chose us to be born at this time in history, and it's exciting days. The Lord is at work. He's inviting us to join him, but he can't use us unless we're being filled continually with his spirit. Isn't that what you want? I hope so. Lord, you're a good, good father. I pray that would be the desire of our heart at Anchor Church. Help us to keep doing the things we did at first. Help us, Father, to keep seeking you, that Christ would be number one, that we'd be filled with the Spirit, we'd be a praying church, that we would be a soul-caring church, caring for one another, that we would be in unity, that souls would be saved. Take these marks in our lives and shine through them. Bring healing in our body. Bring love in our body as we love one another that the world would see there is a place where they can be loved. May that be your church. Help Anchor Church to continue to be the church. Lord, maybe there's some here today. Maybe they're not where they used to be. Maybe they're Spirit's not on fire for you. Maybe they've gone a little cold. Maybe there's some here today, Lord, that aren't even sure if they died, they'd go to heaven. May today be that day. Maybe there's some, Lord, that just need to repent and say, I've been on the throne of my life. Self has been there. I want to turn from that, Lord. I want you, Holy Spirit, to be in control of my life. Lord, we do want to be an anchor here for people to be grounded in you and to be secure and strong. And we acknowledge that that's going to take spirit-filled people that you can shine through to bring glory to your own name. So, Lord, as we sing, maybe you would speak to your people today and we'd all just come down to this altar and say, Lord, 2023 is coming. We want to start the year off right. We want to submit to you and be filled with the Spirit. And we'll give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.